everybody. Welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast slash video that I like to put together once a week where I like to talk about all things investing, talk about what's going on in the market, some of the observations other people are seeing in the market, sharing with you, and sharing my own personal observations about what's going on in the market, and also sharing how I'm going about making investment decisions in different market conditions, hopefully with the goal really that you can take some of the knowledge and some of the stuff that I'm kind of facing and dealing with and thinking about and hopefully maybe bring it back to the type of investment decisions that you're facing. My name is Amin Reina and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And as an investment coach, what I do is I help people who want to become more financially independent, but feel totally confused, frustrated, uh, intimidated by the whole investing concept, the whole concept of investing in stocks and bonds, ETFs. They either don't know where to start if they're just starting out investing or if they've been investing for a long time, they just are kind of frustrated and with the lack of progress that their portfolios are making. So what I do as an investment coach is I teach people, I engage with them on how to make more educated and more successful investment decisions so that they can increase their chances of achieving financial freedom in their lives and achieving it with confidence. So this is episode 93 and today I want to talk to you about I think sort of one of the wild cards of investing that really separates uh, really good run-of-the-mill investors with people who really make good investment long-term successful investment decisions and they can make them more consistently and the cool thing about it is is it's not this particular trade I'm going to talk about is really hard to find in the financial services industry it's more conducive to people like you and me who are just kind of outside maybe the industry but are you know actively engaged in, in growing want to grow their savings and want to invest and so it really comes down to this, this trait that I'm talking about it really comes down to the concept of perspective and context and I really bring it into when I say perspective and context it's in the in the context of uh, the numbers one of the most common things that I get uh, when I work with people who want to get into investing and what really freaks them out and scares them about investing, and I've said this over and over to, uh, again, I'm a broken record on this, is people are really scared of the numbers, the math. It really overwhelms people. And they pe feel, people feel that if they want to get into investing, if they want to do well in investing, they have to like have this incredible like math degree and have to have this incredible knowledge of all different kinds of financial ratios and be proficient with using Microsoft Excel. Um, and you're just kind of like a, a quant jockey. And you know what? It's pretty easy to want to fall into that kind of um, belief because we're such an analytics-driven society now. We're such an information, data-driven society. And technology has just enabled us to just process ridiculous amounts of information and create information. Um, all with the goal to help us make better decisions, without, you know, be it investing or whatever. Um, other kind of business relations. You know, we have investment, we have high speed, you know, trading now. We have like people out there, like phys physicists and computer scientists generating, like developing algorithms that can process and actually, and, you know, capture or um, take advantage of certain market conditions and do it within milliseconds and dubiously even do it before people like you and me can figure it out and want to do something and make a decision on our own. And, uh, and they can do it without really, you know, you can program it, you can code it, you can put it on a spreadsheet, you can run algorithms on it. But what you can do is you can't 
provide perspective. It's sort of like, if this, then do this. But a lot of times you need perspective and you need context. And that's really one of the limitations, I think, of, of current way we make decisions in terms of analytics that we drive in, uh, in our society now. Now, it might make me a little bit more old school, but um, I guess, yeah, maybe I'm old school when it comes to this. Um, but the interesting thing is we have so much information we can generate now. There's so much data out there, so much investment data that we can act upon and make investments. But a lot of times we're paralyzed in making decisions. We're almost, we suffer now a lot more cases of analysis paralysis. And I'm kind of noticing a lot of that reason why we can't make decisions. And I'm going to talk about some examples uh, where I'm seeing this. Um, where we can't make these decisions is because we don't have perspective now. We don't have context. We've lost a kind of a, a, an attachment, an attachment to the value of money. Um, we look at it as, as just numbers now on a screen, on a phone, uh, numbers, uh, you know, the analysts kind of just throw around billions now, trillions, you know, it's just, we think about it, that we just look at it, but we really don't understand. We, we've lost that tangible um, meaning to it. And so that's really what I want to talk about it is that, and the cool thing is as investors, as retail investors, individual investors like you and me, we have that ability to still attach ourselves to perspective. We can use perspective and we can use perspective and context for our own uh, personal advantage because unfortunately the people who are filling us with this information, which is usually Bay Street, Wall Street, you know, mass media, mainstream media, they don't have perspective and they don't have context because there's there's certain constraints that that those sectors those stakeholders operate under but you and me we don't operate under those things and unfortunately they're not going to give us perspective and they're not going to give us context so it's up to us to figure it out top to, to and the cool thing is it's not that bad it's not that hard to do so i want to talk about a couple of areas where i'm seeing this sort of lack of perspective and this sort of emphasis so much on the numbers and data are kind of almost hindering people from really opening their eyes to see really cool investment opportunities that are just sitting in front of them. So the first area where I noticed this kind of lack of perspective and sort of almost this analysis paralysis kind of thing is really what's going on with the central banks. Um, the first, like literally since the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, central banks basically dropped interest rates to practically nothing with the whole goal to stimulate economic activity, put some more liquidity into the financial system so people could start investing in, in ideas, products, services, and bring the economy back up. Get people working, get people more employment, get businesses to be more profitable and productive. And the thing is, it kind of worked in the sense that unemployment, if you look at the numbers since 10 years ago, unemployment is like employment, people, are, there's more jobs being created now than in 2008. The economy is growing, both in the U.S. globally. Um, it may not be gangbusters like in the U.S., but it's growing. It's you know it's going in the right direction. Um, people are working. There's more people working now than there were 10 years ago when all this stuff happened when they dropped industry. Normally, traditionally, when economies recover and start you know getting traction, that's usually when central banks will basically start increasing interest rates. But we haven't seen it. And the usual fallback position, that reason why we haven't seen it, and it's constant, is this concept of data dependency. You'll hear this as a reason. We need to see more data. We are heavily data dependent and we will make decisions based on it. Uh, but we're, we're in a world now where 
these institutions want to see some kind of 100% validation of a specific economic activity or economic behavior before they make an action. And it's literally up until just la a year ago that the Federal Reserve, and I'm using them as the example, because they're the ones that keep citing this data dependency. We need more data, we need more data. Um, it took them like nine years and a lot of growth and a recovery has been in, well in place, but they haven't increased interest rates. They're just worried about something. They're, you know, there's clouds on the, well, there's always clouds on the horizon. Um, there's just that decisiveness is not there. And a lot of times the fallback position of why active decisions don't get made is, is numbers. They just, there's not a number. And it's ironic because we have so much data now. There's so much information in real time, literally, that we can make decisions, but they can't make it. They're looking for some of this perfect piece of interest. And it's always what I talk about is like, and I'm dating myself in terms of how old I am, but in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, we had an inflation problem in, around the world. There was a lot of excess inflation. And the central banks and the Bank of Canada here, here and the Central Federal Reserve in the States, they made a decision to say, you know what, inflation is too high. We need to increase interest rates and increase interest rates aggressively or else we're gonna have a real problem. And it's, the problem is doing that is it could stimulate a recession, it could have a, a negative impact on stock prices, all, a lot of bad things come out, but they did it. And at one point, interest rates, the prime rates, and whatever you wanna call it, whatever we wanna measure it, were almost near 20%. Imagine, 20% interest rates. And here's the thing, when I, when I think about this, I'm going, I don't think they had a lot of information. The amount of information that was probably available at that time uh, to make that kind of aggressive decision probably wasn't there compared to what it is now. Yet they were able to use judgment and really understand the fact that, you know what, we, were, we don't have complete information. We're just gonna have to use sound judgment, sound basic economic principles and do it. And they did it. And it was a very difficult decision and they did it. And I tell you, when we look back at history now, that was probably one of the hardest decisions that was ever made, and it was probably one of the best decisions ever made because it really controlled inflation. Inflation since then has been next to nothing. It's been well, well, well contained. We haven't had those crazy hyper increases in, in inflation like we did in, in, in the 70s. And so a lot of it was just judgment. And it's amazing to see that in that period, they didn't have a lot of information, but they were much more confident and sure. And here now, we live in a time where we have so much information and it can't do anything, it's stuck. Well, it's only now that interest rates are going, but even now they're like so scared to increase rates because um, they're just worried about like just what nuance, what a, what a quarter point hike is gonna just throw the, throw the whole world economy and the whole financial system in, in chaos. And it's clearly not because the banks around the world are much more capitalized to deal with a pressure than now than they were, but they just don't wanna do it. So. I have a hell of a lot more admiration for, for, for the Paul Volkers and the Gerald Bowie's at the time who made those calls. Those were incredibly difficult decisions back in the late 70s. Um, <clears throat> and they were not popular, but they did it. And, you know, they did it. They took an action. They made it. And that's a lot of times what investment decisions are, is making, is using judgment to make decisions based on not complete information, not perfect information. And sometimes you just gotta make a call. And I think it's a perspective and it's a, uh, a context that's clearly lacking now. And it's ironic. Um, so that's one example. 
couple more examples I want to give you, and this relates really to the context of, of uh, perspective as it relates to numbers and understanding the value of money. Um, <clears throat> and it's just the way um, Wall Street, Bay Street, uh, Bay Street behave, the analyst side of the world behave with respect to how they evaluate performance of, fin of, 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 of stocks and of companies out there. So the best example, to me, my little one that really sticks with me is, is Apple. Um, if we flash back to 2012, this is Apple, iPhone's going crazy, they're just cranking out products like nobody's business. They were the it company. But then, and they, they, at the time, they were selling on a quarterly basis like 45 million phones per quarter. And the stock was doing great, but then all of a sudden, the, the estimates or the, 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 the sales volume started petering off and basically almost flatlining or just you know tapering off a bit and the analysts just freaked out. So <clears throat> they were talking about, they were just slamming the company. Like Apple stock, if you remember, was like almost in the 700s and it just sort of dropped like almost in half. Um, <clears throat> and the analysts were saying, you know what? They're not, the, the company's plateauing. They're only selling 45 million phones a quarter. They should be selling a lot more. Uh, they've lost their way. They can't innovate anymore. Other companies are gonna take over. Samsung's gonna dominate, blah, 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 blah. That was, a, and it was just that reinforcing belief by a lot of the analysts and a lot of the, the mainstream media that this company is like literally going downhill. So where does context come in? Where does perspective come in? They sold 45, they're selling 45 million phones. 45 million, that's an insane, that's one and a half times the population of Canada where I live. So almost everybody in this country I live in here could get a phone, would get buy a phone, and then maybe another 15 million people on top of it could buy some more phones. But yet this was pretty, the analyst said this was bad, this is not good. This is horrible, company's in trouble, they've lost their way, and the stock went down like almost by half. And uh, it's just again, the respect for numbers. 45 million, try sell 45 million to anything. If anybody could sell 45 million anything, that's pretty damn good from my perspective. And it tells me that the company's alive. It's, it's not going away. The company's uh, Apple's uh, cash balances were over 100 billion. They had 100 billion in the bank with no debt. And they're selling 45 million phones and they're selling all this other stuff too. Their Mac sales were going up. Everything, it was going great. Um, but the analysts were hung up on the 45 million. They wanted more. And so the stock tanked. And at the time, I'm looking at this company, I'm going, this company is creating incredible returns on invested capital. It's selling 45 million phones, which is, to me, a hell of a lot of phones. Companies would kill to sell this, that kind of volume. No, no debt, tons of cash on the balance sheet, stocks at half price. So I bought it, I started buying. While everybody was selling this stuff, I was out there buying this stuff. Because again, context, appreciation, respect for the numbers. This is a great business. Why do we invest? We invest in stocks because we want to invest in great companies. This is a great company at the time. At the time I'm going, this is one of the great companies on the planet. Why? And it's selling for half price. Why? And, and they're selling, and it's not like nobody's stopping buying phones. People are buying 45 million, a quarter. It's fascinating. So, <clears throat> you know, Context, perspective. We need to, we, we, and lots of times when the analysts are looking at these companies and evaluating these companies, you have to have the understanding of, of perspective, of context. For, you know, understand the value, the quantity, and a respect, have a reverence for the quantity of these numbers. 
they're staggering, they're earth shattering. And they, they are companies that can do this are in the long term going to be more valuable companies that if they can sustain this. So it's ironic because at the time, this was 2012, they were selling 45 million phones a quarter. Guess what they're selling now? They're selling on average 75 to 80 million phones a quarter. And guess what? The new iPhone 8 is out, the, the uh, iPhone 10 is coming, and all of a sudden there's all kinds of little rumblings by the analysts saying, ah, oh, you know what, they may not, uh, I don't know if they'll be able to sell that many. So instead of 80 million um, the next quarter, they might sell 77 million. And all of a sudden now you're starting to see sort of that negative vibe now coming back into the stock. Oh boy, the iPhone 10 is not gonna be as popular. The iPhone 8 is pretty much like the iPhone 7. So who the hell is gonna buy it? Well, they're selling 75 million phones. There's two Canadas now almost. They're selling two Canadas worth of phones now. And the analysts are gonna find a way to say that's not good enough. And that's the nature, and that's what I'm saying, when you're consuming information, when you're reading analyst reports, you have, and you have a better appreciation for the number and the value and the profitability and the quantity and the sales value than what the analysts are. They're just looking at the number, and if it's not this number, then it's garbage. As an investor, you have that advantage of context, of perspective. You can go, 78 million phones is pretty damn good. Are they selling them profitably? Yes, they are. Are they, what's their strength of their balance sheet? Well, they have hardly any debt. Well, now Apple does have a lot more debt now compared to what back in 2012. But they're, they got $250 billion now in cash in the bank. I'm not saying go out and buy Apple stock right now, but I'm saying as you're thinking through your process of evaluating a company, perspective is a key element to bring into your analysis. Because as I said, the smart money people aren't gonna bring it to it and they're not gonna tell you about it, but you know what, you can use it to your advantage. Give me another example, just, just showing the power of numbers. Disney, um, in their last uh, report, quarterly report, they said um, that their stock that they're basically their outlook for the upcoming fiscal year was that their profitability, their profit level was gonna be the same as the profit last year. And the stock got killed. It was in the 110s, it went down into like the mid 90s. Everybody was like, oh, Balint was like, oh, Disney, they're in big trouble. ESPN's coming, people are like cutting the cord. They're in big trouble, they're going out of business. So their profitability is gonna go down. So they're saying, oh, well, they're gonna make the same profit as last year. So okay, they're gonna make the same profit as last year. So what did they make last year? Uh, so I went to see what they did. And last year, their profit, their net, you know, their uh, net income was $9.3 billion. They made $9.3 billion. A year ago, they were had less, 9.3 less intangible wealth created than they do now. And so they're saying they're gonna make another $9.3 billion, which is, again, an insane amount of money. But from an analyst perspective and a Bay Street, Wall Street perspective, not good enough. 9.3 billion is just, sorry, that just doesn't cut it. 9.3 billion of additional wealth that has been created for shareholders is not good enough. So if you apply that logic, then the company is pretty much garbage. But I don't know, when I'm looking at a business, if you're consistently generating $9.3 billion in profit, 
$9.3 billion more in your pocket than you had more than you had the previous year. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good company. You know, I obviously want to dig a little bit more into what the business is and all that stuff, but I'm going, yeah, like how is, how is that a bad thing? But you wouldn't know it by the stock price. So as investors, again, if you have this perspective and you have this respect for the, for the, for the dollar, for the value of money and the importance of it, you can go and say, you know what, 9.3 billion is quite a hell of a lot. I may want to take a look at this company. You're, you guys are saying it's a piece of garbage. Well, hmm, maybe I may want to take the other side of that trade because I don't think I'm going to, you know, a $9.3 billion company that's generating $9.3 billion in profits is probably not going to go out of business anytime soon. It's probably a pretty low risk investment to make. Um, whether it's going to realize incremental value tomorrow, I don't know, but I think I could sleep well at night knowing that I have my money invested in an organization that has demonstrated a capability of creating tangible wealth for their shareholders and is selling products and services that people want and are making investment decisions into ideas and services that they think people are going to want in the future and has assets that they know are going to generate incremental value for a long period of time. So if I have that perspective and that reverence and that appreciation for that dollar amount, I'm probably going to be putting myself in a better position to probably make some cash off of it and benefit from that and being associated with that in the long run than just by looking purely at a, doll, at, a, at, a at a spreadsheet and at a comparable. And again, it comes down to perspective, come down to respect the value of money. If you can respect the value of money, the respect the value of the dollar and the context and the perspective that is being looked at and evaluated, you're going to help yourself. You're going to identify much more interesting, much more potentially lucrative investment opportunities. And this is a skill and this is that advantage that you and I have. And, but the people that are working on wall street and the people who are on Bay street and the people who are on CNBC or whatever, they don't have that advantage. They don't, they, they just can't because their world is very quarter to quarter to quarter performance, performance, performance. They're held their compensation and we can go into a lot of stuff. Their world is, is, is on quarter to quarter. Your world and my world is years. We have time. That's another advantage we have on ourselves is we invest in quality assets over time. Probabilities are those assets are going to be worth more than when we bought them. Probability it doesn't work every time, but the probabilities are more in our favor. So I just want to share with you. It's just something that's really, um, it's just, con it's, just it's a concept uh, that I see a lot. And I want to leave you actually with a definition. I found this really great. I, I don't know who the hell made this definition, but um, to me, it's, it really sums up how we need to look at investing. And instead of looking at these dollars, like black and white kind of things, um, investing is very much, it's all about educated guesses. And this is a definition I found that's really great. So investing is quote, it's about making probabilistic, probabilistic decisions with imperfect information about the unknowable future. How we think about that future, whether our, assumption, our assumptions, extrapolations, and projections are remotely accurate, remotely accurate, is going to determine our investment success or it's going to determine our investment failure. Ultimately, we're making decisions. Investing is about making decisions with imperfect information. And a lot of times we are living in a world where we have so much information, so much data that's just flying in and out. We lose perspective. We lose context. 
And a lot of times it's just not there. And a lot of times it's just garbage, but sometimes we just have to make a decision. And that's, that's what investing is. And that's what I kind of teach people is just learning how to make educated guesses. The chances are if you make more educated and more informed guesses with a respect for the information that's in front of you, with the contact respect of the value of the dollar that's in front of you, the value of money, chances are you're gonna make more successful investment decisions than, than bad investment decisions. And so perspective to me is a competency that we need to develop. And I try to teach people to develop that along with just being more engaged, being more educated about the mechanics and behavioral aspects of, of investing, um, the empowerment side, just the constant practice, but just perspective. When you're looking at these opportunities that are in front of you, look at them with perspective. Understand and appreciate the value of the numbers that are coming into you and the perspective and the context that are around it too. So I just want to share, it's something that's really important to me and it's something that I've really taken a, a lot of consideration in how I make my investment decisions. Because um, it allows me to just frame them on a basis of reality and just make a reasonable guess on terms of whether that investment is going to pan on or not. So something I want to share with you. A um, couple, one announcement before I head out is uh, I'm actually, uh, if people have known who has subscribed to my email, my weekly email, I send out a weekly email every Wednesday uh, morning about uh, various things, uh, you know, all my blog posts and whatever that I'm doing on my website, but I also share some interesting articles and videos and uh, perspectives from other people out there who I think know way more about investing than I do and actually I use them and I leverage their thoughts and ideas and try to frame them into my own investment decisions. So if you subscribe, go to my website, uh, sageinvestors.ca, you can, there's a little subscription there, just drop your email, email name and uh, every Wednesday morning before you wake up, uh, it'll be in your inbox. Um, one of the things I've been doing is uh, about a month ago, I just set up a Facebook page because um, people said you need to be on Facebook. So I said, okay, I'll put it on Facebook and I'll post all my blogs and stuff like that. So that's another way you can get some real time access to what I'm doing. Um, so just go to Sage Investors on Facebook. There I am, you'll find it. But what well, one of the big reasons I, I, I kind of set it up too was because of this Facebook Live feature where you can just go on on video and just talk about anything you want. Um, and I thought it'd be a really cool way to talk about what's going on in the market, kind of give some more real-time incentive uh, about what's going on in the market. But the other thing I thought about too, and I've always wanted to do, is I just want to engage more people about investing. It's just be a really cool way to use Facebook Live to engage people who have questions about investing or are kind of stuck about something and just want to kind of bounce an idea off and kind of get some, a different take that might help them give them some more perspective. Um, in how they make the investment decisions. So I've just, uh, I've just started basically what I said, you know what, every Wednesday night between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm gonna just go on there on Facebook Live for an hour and I'm just gonna be there and talking about investing. And I'm basically gonna be there basically to, to answer questions. If you have questions about investing, you have questions about something, a common, uh, something about stocks, uh, terminology, um, some kind of a question about in terms of how to go about evaluating them or just a decision you're making. You're like, oh my God, I'm thinking about buying Target stock. What, how do we go about doing it? And we'll walk through it. I'll walk you through um, some ideas and some approaches to just kind of figure out answering those questions. So I'm on there every Wednesday between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. Um, just jump on through my uh, Facebook page, Sage Investors and catch away. If you can't make it, all the replays are also gonna be on the page too. If you have a question, but you just can't get on board to ask me those questions in real time, just drop a comment on my Facebook page and uh, maybe I'll catch it. If I see it, I'll catch it. I'll try to answer it right there or I'll try to answer it uh, in the following, following week. So every Wednesday between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m., 
Stock Talk Live. That's what I called it. It's like, okay, I'm kind of trying to come up with a name. Gee, I call this my podcast, Stock Talk. So like, I'm going to do it live. So Stock Talk Live. So let's just do it on Facebook Live. Um, every Wednesday, I've been doing it for a couple of weeks now, and it's been kind of cool in just talking for like an hour of investing, which I love to do. I could probably talk for more, um, but I really, I'm really into this stuff. I'm really passionate about this stuff. And so I'm here just kind of there to just, I'm just there. So as you're cruising around Facebook, looking at some pretty pictures, looking at pictures of food, looking at pictures of trees, looking at memes, reading stuff about Trump, you know, take a few seconds, pop on over to my uh, Facebook page and talk some investing. All right. So that's every Wednesday, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. on, on uh, Facebook, Sage Investors. Catch it. Should be cool. It's cool. That's all I got for you this week. Thank you for listening. If you want to listen to more of my podcasts, I got a whole lot of them. Um, they're, on my, they're on iTunes. We're on iTunes. Do a search for Sage Investors. Feel free to subscribe. Leave a review, leave a comment review if you, if you find this stuff interesting. Um, you can go to my website also, sageinvestors.ca. You can learn more about my blogs, my posts, um, videos, and also more information about my coaching services. Um, I teach, as I said, I teach people, I teach investing, I teach a course on investing in stocks, and I also have a course on investing in ETFs. And uh, so if you're interested and want to learn more about it, just jump on my uh, jump on my website. I'm on Twitter. My handle is at Sage Investors. If you, I basically, anything I see out there in the market, what's going on in the market, and I comment it, I comment it on real time. Any investment decisions that I make, uh, I tweet them out there in real time too, because uh, it's just part of my transparency, part of my being open and transparent about the work that I do. It's one thing for me to teach people how to invest. It's another thing to apply what I do. And so that's where uh, Twitter, I think, is really cool in that sense. Uh, uh, gives you that perspective, that real-time kind of hit on terms of what's going on in the markets. So thank you very much for listening. My name again is Amon Reina of Sage Investors. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. And we'll catch you again another time. Take care. Bye-bye.